Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. So I'm going to jump right in this morning. The topic for my message is titled Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. And so I spoke uh, last month on the Lord's Prayer, and, and I feel this is it's kind of a connected to that. It's certainly staying on topic related to prayer itself, but I want to talk about prayer and how it relates to waiting, and specifically waiting on the Lord. So I'm going to go through today, and I'm going to give you three different examples from the life of King David, three different instances where it says he waited on the Lord or he encouraged others to wait on the Lord. And as I go through these examples, I'm hoping you can find yourself in that storyline. You can find the strength and the courage um, and the tools to wait on the Lord in your own life and for the own things that you are going to deal with, that you're going to battle presently um, and in the future. Now, just talk about prayer a little bit because waiting on the Lord is in the context of prayer. And I'll get to that in a bit. But prayer, it has to be stated, prayer is not the end all be all like Prayer, I don't want anybody here. We're very much a house of prayer. We're focused on prayer. Our goal is not to make you professional prayer people. Like, I I really don't want to raise up professional prayer warriors. I want to raise up people that have a heart for Jesus, and prayer gets you to him. Prayer takes you to the Father. Prayer takes you to the Spirit. So by through prayer, it's a means to be conformed to the image of God. It's a means to look like him. It's a means of knowing him. It's a means. So prayer is for the sake of knowing God. Prayer is a means to be connected with God. Prayer is a means to know his ways. Prayer is a means to be conformed to his image. And prayer is a means that we can be used by God to actually form and shape the things in the earth the way God has ordained it, by his will, by his purposes. It all comes through prayer. It's really important. Andrew Murray says this about prayer. He said, some people just pray, and some people pray to know God. I want to be the latter. I want to be a people that pray to know him, not just to pray, not just as a spiritual practice, but to know the one we are praying to. See, prayer is made to shape us. And you might have noticed recently that we've been tarrying a bit longer on our Sunday services, tarrying a bit in different. And if you were here even for the midweek prayer sets, there's something going on where the spirit is moving beyond our normal framework and, and we are, as a leadership team, you can pray for us. Our, Lord, how do we move with you? When we feel you mo- moving, how do we abide with you and, and shift and adjust? And, and so I believe that's happening corporately, but it, the desire is that everything we do corporately influences each and every one of us individually. So when God's doing something in a corporate setting, it's, it's not just to be done here. Oh, I can't wait to get to church and I'm going to tarry in the Lord. I hope that happens here. But I hope when you go home, all of a sudden, you're waiting on the Lord in your apartment. You're waiting on the Lord at your office. You're tarrying with him because something is stirring in this place. And it's him. And he doesn't leave when you leave here. And I actually feel there's some of us that you're, you're tarrying more not here, and then, then you are here. And that is exactly what we are going for. We want a lifestyle that's 24-7 because our God's 24-7. He's with us everywhere we go. So God, teach us how to wait. Teach us how to tarry. We, uh, we had a birthday party for my seven-year-old yesterday. Her name's Lilu. Um, she, she's just turning seven. And it gave me some, some interesting examples, right? So we're leading up to the party, and the party is at like 1.30, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's like 9 o'clock, and they're like, 
When are they going to be here? Are they here? Are they on their way? I'm like, well, not unless they live in deep Pennsylvania. No, they're not on their way. They're not here. And, and so we're preparing the party. You know, we're setting the table and the plates, the decorations. We're putting the streamers up. We're cooking the food. And then two hours still left to go. Dad, are, are they here? Where are they? No, no, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. An hour later, are they here? Where are they? We can't wait anymore. They get on all their clothes, right? And it's cold. And they go outside and they decide to wait on the road. Right in front of all the neighbors who are like, what's wrong with your children? <laughs> well, they're waiting for a party, right? They prepared everything. The meal is ready. The, the decorations are set up. And the guests haven't arrived. And they're sitting there expectantly and sidedly waiting, looking down the street. Which way are they going to come? When's it going to happen? I can't wait. That type of waiting, that's biblical waiting. It's expectant. It's not fearful. It's not apathetic. It's active. I'm, I'm so ready to go. I'm going to go on the street and just look left and right until somebody drives. And I'll yell at them. And then it's just the neighbor. Sorry. That happened. Um, so there are, there are these, these moments where we, we're called to give ourselves to waiting. But we've got to take away the stigma of waiting. I'm not talking about worldly waiting. I'm talking about waiting on the king of kings, the king of glory, who, who is Christ has come and he will come again. Ultimately, that's the real waiting that we're going for. We are waiting for the king of glory to come and he's got a banquet. He's got a whole party that he has prepared and we've seen it already. We've seen it because he's already been here and he's already laid the foundation. He sent his spirit and now he's, gonna, he's about to put on the feast and we're expectantly waiting for that king of glory to come. This is the Christian life. This is the expectation that every believer should have. And this does not fit well in our Western culture. Waiting is not something we do well in the West. I don't know if they do well in the East either, but I can tell you in the West, we don't do it well. We don't, I think humanly we don't do it well. You know, there's a lot of kids' books written about waiting because it's just a funny concept, and kids have a hard time with it. You're Dr. Seuss. They're in this whole, like, land of waiting, right? Like, waiting is just a part of human life. But I, I got to be honest, I'm really, I have a hard time just waiting for my Uber to come around the corner. I'm just like, dude, like, why, why did you come this way instead of that way? I had to wait two minutes for you to get here. And we become agitated with these just little things, little waitings. And, and then we, we wonder why we can't wait on the big things, right? We can't even wait for the Uber. And, and so I, I really feel the Lord wants to strengthen and grow the church in our ability to wait and to persevere. And I think one way you do that is you got to read the Bible differently. The Bible is not a self-help book. Can somebody post that somewhere? I'm not even on social media. Tell somebody, the Bible's not a self-help book. And if you read it like a self-help book, you are gonna be disappointed, you're gonna be frustrated, and you're gonna be gazing at your navel the whole time instead of gazing at the one who you're waiting for. Like that's the reality, is when you turn it self-help, you, you make the storyline about you, the story's not about you. The story's about the king of glory, and guess what? He's setting up a banquet for you, so it's pretty good to wait on him because he's got good plans for you. He's a good father, but I want to be, I want my mindset to be on Christ and his kingdom, and that's what the Bible's about. It's about Christ and his coming kingdom. It's about how to live in that kingdom, how to dwell in that kingdom, and how to pray that that kingdom will come and manifest on the earth. That's what it's about. It's not about you, and when you make it about you, it becomes a really tough book to read, and Tell you what, your prayers become really weak. Your prayers get so weak when you make the Bible a self-help. But you're looking for principles to make your life better. 
God saying, bring me in. I make your life better. Like, there are principles, but that's not the context of the book. But I want you to hear me on this. You will never waste your time. Never, ever, ever will you waste your time waiting on God. Never. That is not a waste of your time. There's a lot of other things. Binging Netflix is a waste of your time. Scrolling on social media is a waste of your time. Waiting on God is not a waste of your time. It's not a waste. When you wait, there is an assurance that you carry of the future, which transforms how you act in the present when you wait on God. Some of you, there are some massive callings in this room. There, there are things God has given you. He's brought you to the city, but you have to learn how to wait on God. You have to learn how to traverse the trials and the, and the, and the frustrations of life, and you do it by waiting on the Lord. But many, many of us, we've not been disciplined in this. And I'm telling you, it will trip up things that you, that God has showed you that you want to see manifest when you don't learn how to wait on the Lord. He'll move and you won't move with him. God, teach us how to wait. Let's be honest that waiting on God is, can be very challenging. Let's be real. Because the type of waiting I'm talking about is not weak, apathetic waiting. The type of waiting I'm talking about is bold. It's brave. It takes faith. It takes patience and courage. Most of all, it takes God's grace for you to wait on the Lord. Don't take what I'm saying today and say, I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to white knuckle it. I'm going to wait on God. I'm doing it. That's not going to work. But if you come from here and you say, I know I'm called to wait on the Lord. God, give me grace to wait. Help me. You come humbly before the Lord and you ask him to help you wait. Then you can wait because it's his grace that allows you to wait. So God, help us today. Give us grace to wait. Even as we read your word, Lord, we help us to navigate the various situations of our life that we may wait on you and respond in accordance to what you say. So when is it appropriate to wait on the Lord? I'm going to give you three examples from King David's life when it's appropriate to wait on the Lord. Number one, waiting on the Lord is appropriate during times of trial. Waiting on the Lord is appropriate during times of trial. David was a man of many trials throughout his life. We've talked about him quite a bit. Um, you can read it, First, Second Samuel. You can read all of the Psalms. They are they're entryways into the heart of David as he's going through mostly trials. And so today we're going to be reading, you can turn with me to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, there's a little, there's a debate over what trial this is about because David, once again, has gone through so many trials. But it, it, it's likely one of two things. It's likely either David when he's fleeing from King Saul. So many of you remember King Saul is the king that preceded David. King Saul was kind of like his father-like figure, training, raising him up, um, David was in, in the king's court, and then the king turned on him. And then as David became anointed, the king came after him, and the king's, king sent violent men after him to kill him and annihilate him from the earth. And the same thing, unfortunately, happened in the second story, which is potentially what this psalm is about. The king had a son named Absalom. Absalom, in the same way as Saul, wanted to take the kingship from King David and decided to send, what, violent men, wicked men, people to destroy and attack and accuse and malign King David. So it's probably one of those two stories, but both sound pretty crummy, right? Violent men chasing you, trying to eliminate your life, speaking evil against you. That sounds pretty desperate, right? But I have to say, I, I, 
the pressure that David is feeling, the pressure that he's praying out of this pressure cooker of a situation, I, I don't think we have to have that context to feel that type of pressure. I think there's many of you here that feel the same desperation that David did, who feel maligned, who feel beat down, who feel attacked, persecuted, abandoned. You feel all the things that David felt, and hopefully you don't have violent men chasing you around. But if you do, we would love to pray for you at the end of church. <laughs> they run to the, if that's happening, that's problematic. So just, let's jump into Psalm 27, starting at verse 6. Psalm 27, or starting at verse 1, rather, through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You feel the desperation in this text? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp around me, against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. See, so your trials and your hardships, they're the opportunity to have the maximum level of intimacy with God. When you, if you're in that place, like David, you're in your trial, you are in the incubator moment spiritually. This is your opportunity to get close to God like you've never had before. And I've talked to some of you, some of you are in there and you're like, man, I'm in this thing, but I feel closer to God than I've ever felt in my entire life. And it's like, exactly. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He uses every trial to draw near to him. If you wait on him, if you seek him, if you come after him. But how many know trials are also an opportunity, an opportunity is the wrong word, a, trials create a, a space where you can become disconnected from God. There, there's a place in, in the disappointment, in the frustration where you can just put God off in such a way that can harm you spiritually that can disrupt the things God's given you. And so there is a real threat of disconnection. Read with me Psalm 27. We're going to start in verse 7. And I want you to hear some of the, the, the disconnection that I think David was experiencing. He's praying out of it. It says, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. I don't think David felt heard. I don't think he felt the Lord was answering him. That's why he's praying this way. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. I think he's saying it's because he feels rejected. He feels forsaken. He feels disconnected. He feels like God's hidden from him. Do any of you feel that way right now? Do you feel God, does God feel distant and hidden from you? Do you feel disconnected from him? Pray like David, pray. Watch, watch how this thing turns. And this, this psalm turns so fast that some scholars don't know what to do with it. They're like, oh, it must be two separate people. 
Like, there must be one person talking in the front end and somebody else talking in the back end. It's like, no, like, have you ever, like, engaged with a human heart? Have you ever seen a human heart go to God and what God does to a human heart when you put it right in his lap? He does this. He transforms the heart. And he, and he raises up somebody in hope and in faith. And, and so, so watch how that shifts. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. I'm going to keep going. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Now it turns. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. But I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. That's what he did in his time of trial. That's what he did in the frustration and the pain, in the hiding, in the attack, in the malicious accusations. He waited for the Lord. See, I think when we wait, it can be really challenging because the, a, a natural response to trials and frustrations, hardship, is you try to figure it out. Because that's how I respond. Think of 2020. Think of all the trauma even endured from that. When something huge and outside of your perspective comes into your life, the first thing we typically do is try to wrap our mind around it and figure it out. We feel disoriented. But God's saying, actually, the first thing I want you to do is take it to me and come wait on me. That can be really hard to do when your brain is saying, figure this out, justify this. How does this make sense with God and his goodness and all these things? God's saying, no, 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 no. Come and wait on me. Even when your mind can't figure it out, don't let your mind try to figure it out because you're going to come to wrong conclusions. Come wait on me and get context for the trial that you're going through. Get context from my heart. See, waiting, waiting on the Lord doesn't imply complete understanding of the present but waiting on the Lord gives you confidence in the future even this psalm right to to really express what waiting in this psalm means it, it means to expect the Lord's deliverance so when I'm waiting I'm looking down that road like my kids are and I'm expecting he's gonna come and he's gonna make this right and I don't understand how that's gonna happen but I know that Christ has come and Christ will come again and I know he's made promises even in this life not even in the age to come right now and I don't understand how they're gonna come to pass but I know he's coming and I know he'll deliver and that's how a powerful person in Christ responds to trials and adversity. And that's how people get saved. Because people around you see you respond. They say, what in the world is that? They've got an anchor that's way deeper than anything I've ever touched. And you just point them to Christ. Your response just declares the gospel. I mean, then you share them the gospel. But they're going to be intrigued how you go through trials. See, waiting is not the end game. God's deliverance and redemption, that's the end game. Waiting just makes you confident that that's going to happen. So waiting involves prayer, and it's offensive. Offensive in that it's pushing back against narratives. It's pushing back against the mind at times to wait on God. Remember we prayed the Lord's Prayer last time? Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, your will be done. 
Part of you are here on assignment on the earth, that is, not even just in the city, to pray your kingdom come, your will be done. And you're going to pray that even when you don't see the kingdom coming or the will being done. But you're going to know that Christ has come and his kingdom will come and it will be done. And so when you pray like that, it brings you clarity, it brings you authority, and it helps you to wait. Waiting does not look like this. It does not look like apathy. It does not look like passivity. It does not look like fear. It does not look like false humility. Like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm, if you tell somebody you're waiting on the Lord, but there's nothing actively happening in your life, you're not really praying, you're not doing anything, you just tell them, yo, I'm just waiting on God. That's not waiting on God. That's false pseudo-spirituality. You can take that out and dump it behind the church because that is not real Christianity. Waiting is not that. And I'm being strong about it because I feel sometimes we use a spiritual language and I don't like it. I don't like it because the kingdom of God is advancing and waiting is not sitting on your hands. Waiting is asking God to move and getting his perspective in his heart. I know I'm being a little intense on that one because I feel like that one trips us up. And I don't, I don't want it. I don't want it for me. I don't want it for you. We, we have to recognize. So the first thing, waiting on the Lord, right, is appropriate. As I said, it's appropriate during times of trial. Second one, waiting on the Lord is appropriate when dealing with your flesh. And that's kind of what I was describing. Apathy, passivity. These are things of the flesh that, that war against us, right? They war against the people of God. And I feel where we get tripped up in the church is we get really, we're really interested in, in the new creation, and we need to be. And I preach about that all the time because you've got to know that you're a new creation in Christ. But you cannot discredit the fact that there is sin even in you now, that would try to war against you. The new creation, the spirit of God that lives and dwells in you, gives you a choice to choose righteousness, to choose to reject the flesh. And the flesh is that sin that even in a Christian tries to war against you, and you can put it to bed by the spirit of God. But the reality is if you act like it's not there, you've you got an enemy that you're not even acknowledging. That's problematic. Turn with me to Psalm 37. Waiting on the Lord is appropriate when dealing with the flesh. Let's look at how David deals with some of the flesh that is warring up in his life. So Psalm 37, starting at verse 1, says this. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who are doing wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. See, David in this passage, he's not dealing with just the trials, the external trials. And we deal with that, right? You deal with people in situations. There are trials that are coming at you. He's dealing with the trial that's coming from in him. The trial in him, the hardship in him, is he has envy towards those who are doing wrong. Because he sees them prosper. He sees, this, he says, God, what's, what's up with these guys? They're coming after me, but their lives are not falling apart. Why aren't you just destroying these people? The envy of the heart is trying to sour David and destroy him. Sometimes we get so focused on external pressures and demonic attacks that we forget our own soul needs to be taken care of. We've got flat, our flesh rearing up, and we're sitting there trying to cast out the demons against us. No, you have, to, you have to learn how to obey Christ and how to put the flesh to death and follow the Spirit. That's the problem. It's not always demons and trials external. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's things that you just have to stop agreeing with. And you need a good friend to point it out. 
because everybody wants to talk about, oh, I'm so sorry, brother, sister, like this trial is so bad. I can't believe they did that to you. But nobody wants to say, look within, man. Like, they're, they're evil, but you're not responding with God's heart. A good friend will tell you that. A good friend will lead you in that way. So check this out. The very last part of Psalm, I think it's verse 6 or 7. Um, it says this, he will make your way righteous. He, he, your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Because once again, waiting is a, means God is going to deliver. Don't fret. He's coming. He's coming and he sees all things. We live before an audience of one. So waiting puts to death the flesh. I think part of the reason it puts to death the flesh is it's such a humbling process, right? Just to like, instead of doing something about it, just like going to the Lord and waiting on him and responding, you do something when he tells you to do it. That is a humbling thing to do. And it, so it destroys the flesh. I think it kind of like, it kind of cuts the flesh off. It starves the flesh in a sense when you choose to wait on the Lord in the midst of your flesh, trying to get you not to, trying to get you to be impatient, trying to get you to not be disciplined, trying to get you to be lazy. God, we thank you for warring against our flesh. Number three, waiting on the Lord is appropriate during times of revelation. Oh, that one's different. That one's different. One of these is not the same, and it's this one. It's appropriate during trial. It's appropriate when, the fle- when your flesh is rearing up. It's appropriate when God's actually pouring out. It's appropriate to wait on the Lord. Turn with me to Samuel, um, 2 Samuel, starting at verse 7. Just to give you a little overview, this is David once again. He's experienced a lot of answers to his prayers, his promises. I mean, God's pouring out, has poured out in his life. He's now king. His kingdom continues to increase. Saul's kingdom continues to diminish. He has a nice palace. There's peace on his borders. And he gets this idea, what if I build God a house? I have this great palace, this great house. God's living in a tent. He's got the tabernacle. What if I build him a house? That's thought comes to his mind. Now, the prophet, Nathan, he rolls up and he says, hey, that thought, that's a good thought. God's going to give you the things that you are that you're desiring, that you are requesting. But then the prophet Nathan gives him this profound promise. I mean, this is one of the biggest promises anybody in the scriptures ever received. And so as I read this, just, just take note of how would you respond if the God of the universe came to you? This is not, by the way, this is the prophet Nathan who got a word directly from the Lord. And so think, this is like God himself speaking this right to David's heart. All right, so turn with me, 2 Samuel 7. It's 11, but it's kind of B. It's in the middle of the, of the verse. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Remember David? He said, I'm going to make you a house, God. The Lord said, no, I declare to you, I'm making you a house. Joke's on you, buddy. I'm making you one. What? When you're what? When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's a killer promise. He's, Nathan is telling David that his house will be established forever and ever and ever. 
His predecessor Saul didn't even, couldn't even give his kingdom to his kids. Couldn't even give the, the, the next, you know, lordship to his kids. But David is, or God is saying to David, no, you will have a dynasty and it will be forever. And so if you read the fullness of this promise, there's a few components here. He's talking about Solomon. He's saying Solomon's going to be the one to build the temple. But how many know he's talking about more than Solomon because Solomon's going to die? He's saying you're going to have a kingdom that's forever. He's talking about Christ, who's going to come in the Davidic line, who's going to come and rule and reign not just over Israel like he is reigning, through Israel to the entire ends of the earth, to all the Gentile nations. What a massive promise. I encourage you to read this thing in full. I'm just giving you bits and pieces of it, but it's chock full uh, of power. And, and so I want to get to his response in 2 Samuel, starting at, at verse 7. But I'll say this briefly. If you want to wait on the Lord, you need more of the word of God. The word of God is gasoline to your prayer life. It's gasoline to your intimacy with the Lord. And so we, we want to wait. We want to tarry. You need the word. And David just got the word of the Lord. And watch what he does with it. David chapter, or 2 Samuel 7, verse 18. Turn with me to verse 18. It says this. Then King David went in and he did what? Sat before the Lord. Interesting. He sat. That's an odd term to use. People kneel normally. Sometimes they stand before the Lord. He sat before the Lord. I think the implication here, and the Hebrew word implies this as well, is that he sat because he knew he was going to be there a while. He sat because you're not going to be there that long when you're kneeling. You're not going to be that long when you're standing. But he had a word, and he was going to pray that word through in the tabernacle right in the presence of God. And it says this, and he said, who am I, Lord God, and who is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this instruction is for mankind. Oh, Lord God, and what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, oh, Lord God, because of your promise, catch that, and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make me your servant know it. He sits before the Lord. He opens up with thanksgiving. He comes from a humble heart. These are keys for us in how we pray. You come before the Lord thanking him. He says, who is, who, woe is, I, woe am I. He's not like talking about all his accolades. You know what? I slay Goliath. Aren't I awesome? Look what I did. No wonder I get these promises and gifts. Woe, woe is me. I'm a shepherd boy. And you would pour out this blessing on me. And begins to thank the Lord for his goodness. Thank the Lord for his mercy. Thank the Lord for his plans. And, and here he is waiting on God, even though he's already got the word of the Lord. He's waiting on God. He's seeking his face because he wants to see it fulfilled. There's something about prayer that it's an invitation to partner and declare the promises, not just hear them and know them. Knowledge is not enough. God wants you to pray them. God wants you to ask him for the thing that he said he was going to do. 2 Samuel verse 25. We're just skipping down a little bit. And now, O Lord, our God, confirm forever the word you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken and your name will be magnified forever saying the lord of hosts is god over israel the house of your servant david will be established before you O lord O god of hosts O god of israel have made this 
revelation to your servant saying, I will build you a house. Catch this last part. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Why does he wait? How does he pray? He prays according to the promise of God, and he has courage because he knows the word of God. If you don't know the word of God, your prayer life is going to be so weak. Your prayer life is going to be so focused on you and temporal things. You're going to be asking the Lord for material wealth and earthly influence. That does not matter. But if you know the word of God, you can pray his promises. You can pray it back to him. You can pray bold, confident things, and people will think you're crazy. They'll say, where did you come up with that prayer? That's so audacious. Like, that, that's so bold. It's like, it's not my prayer. It's God's plan. I'm just his servant partnering with him like David did, saying, God, bring it to the earth. Do what you said you do. You said all the nations will come before you. You said ask and I'll give the nations to you. I'm going to ask for the nations. God's put you in this city to ask for the nations. And so when you come here and you pray and you go home and you pray, pray bold prayers. Say, God, bring the nations to your name. God, let every knee bow. Let every tongue confess. This is your word. These are not just nice ideas. This is not just, just fluffy, like, you know, statements. This is the word of God. This is inspired by the spirit of God, and it will come to pass. And God says, partner with me in prayer. Use my promises. Partner with me in prayer. See, Jesus is the ultimate answer to all the prayers of David. Every prayer I've read to you, Jesus is the answer to that. Psalm 27, God, deliver me. Deliver me from my trials. Jesus is the deliverer. He comes and he removes every attack, every trial, and he removes every tear from every eye. He is the deliverer. Psalm 37, where he's crying out, Lord, my flesh, my, my, I have envy in my heart. I hate. I, I, I strive against people. I have no patience. God comes and he removes the flesh. Christ came that the flesh would have no hold, no control over your life. And he put his spirit in you. And the spirit of God crying, Abba, Father, gives you the power to walk and live a transformed life. Christ was the answer to David's prayer. And here, King David's praying, oh God, establish your throne forever and ever. Christ is the answer to that prayer. He comes and sets up a throne on the earth. He comes to rule and reign in a new heaven and a new earth. He comes to, that we may be with him through all eternity. The blood of Jesus is what we need. The blood of Jesus supplies everything, we, everything that we need. It's the answer to every prayer that we pray. Worship team, could you guys come on up? I, I heard this thing recently, and it was really encouraging to me. They were saying, you know, Jesus' life is like a continual prayer set, essentially. It's a continual petition of prayer that God answers every single time. Because God loves the son, and he loves to answer the prayer of the son. So there Christ is praying, God, who are the disciples? God, show me who they are, and God shows them. And it's perfect, right? They're the exact right people. Christ is praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. God, would you, would, would you help me to drink your wrath? Would you help me? And the Lord supplies him all that he needs. God, Christ is praying on the cross, and God, help them. They know not what they do. God, bring all the children unto me, everyone that you've chosen. Let them come unto me. And God fulfills every prayer of the son. And now Christ is seated on the throne. And he continues to pray for you and for me, for the children of God. And, and the father continues to hear his prayer and respond. Everybody can stand for me, please. God is raising up those in this city that would be intercessors just like Christ, our king. That would intercede 
with a hearts fueled with the promises of God, with, with hearts that are connected to the word of God. And I believe there are leaders that God is raising up in this hour, in this generation. And by this generation, I mean everybody in this room. I mean, young and old, if you're alive, you're in the generation. I believe is giving a gift of intercession on many of this community. And that intercession is going to push back darkness. When you tarry and you wait, you're going to have a confidence and assurance. And the enemy cannot thwart that. When you've waited on the Lord and you know what he's said, you, you become a wrecking ball for the kingdom of God. When you've waited on the Lord and you know what he has said, you become a wrecking ball for the kingdom of God. But if you have not waited and you have not tarried and you do not have his word and his heart and his ways deep in you, I do not know how you will traverse what's ahead. As your pastor, I am, I'm, I'm crying out like, like shift how you operate. I'm trying to shift my own life. There, there's risks that God's calling me to take. And I'm like, God, I don't know how to take that risk. And he's saying, wait on me. Be, hear me. Listen to me. Get the, get the word in you. And you'll be able to step out. You'll be able to walk in confidence. You'll be able to take action because you'll know what I'm saying. And I believe this. I believe prophetically there's some of you here. You're going to start to get in these seasons of travail. And I, I see it every now and then. And what, by travail, you're basically, you're getting God's heart. You're getting, maybe it's for a nation. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a people. Maybe it's something in this city that God's burning on your heart. Lean into that travail. That's waiting on God. There's power at the end of that travail if you'll let your emotions and your heart go with the Lord in that place. And it feels weird and it, feel, it can feel reckless. You can feel, God, my emo, like, how do I? It's outside of your mind, right? It's outside of your understanding. But lean in to this travail. He's raising up a generation of intercessors. I'm going to say this real quick to close. I want to give just a few practicals for you. Number one, one way I think you can steward what I'm talking about today, how to wait on the Lord. Build in times of silence in your life. And I, I don't do this in my life, I'll just be honest, but I feel so convicted from this, I will begin to, starting today. I would encourage you take 10 minutes every day. Find a closet, find a, clo a quiet place. If you have kids, you're definitely gonna have to wait till they get to bed or you will neglect them, I'm sure. But take 10 minutes and just be alone. Be still and let him speak. Let him lead. Be quiet and wait on him. Ten minutes every day. Second one, pray through the promises of God. Find those promises. Find those things that stir you in, the, in your spirit and pray them boldly. Throw off some of the fluffy prayers. There, there's things that we've been praying that we don't need to pray anymore. There's seasons that are long past, but God will give you assignments and they're in his word. They're his promises. You, they're kingdom realities. Pray that faithfully. And some of you are going to get different scriptures, but God will give it to you. Lastly, when you wait on the Lord, when you wait on him, don't feel like, you, like a prophet Nathan has to go into your bedroom before you get the revelation. All right? He might, and that would be kind of cool. But he might call you. Like people will call you in this church that we're prophetic. But let it be enough that you hear him even in the simplicity of like, here's my word, go and do it. Here, here, here's Sermon on the Mount, go and live it. Here, I'm going to give you the grace to do the things in this Bible that are stirring in your heart. Let that be enough. Now, I, I'm asking for more, but God sometimes speaks in that way, and we're looking for the prophet Nathan to come in and, and, and railroad us. You don't need that. Like, that's helpful, 
but he speaks differently. And the last thing I'll say, when you are praying, if you don't know how to pray, be silent or pray the Lord's Prayer. Just do it. Just put yourself to it and watch him meet you there. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing today. Holy Spirit, we pray right now. God, I, God, I ask that you would give us the grace to wait. God, give us the grace to tarry. God, give us the grace to burn for the nations of the earth, to, to expect your coming. And, Lord, I pray today for those that are dealing with trial and hardship. God, I pray that you would meet them in the midst of their troubles. God, I pray that they would wait on you and find you, find refreshment, find encouragement, find hope. God, I pray for those who are dealing with wars on the inside, whose flesh is raising up, trying to pervert the very core of their life, trying to influence their thoughts, trying to destroy their friendships, trying to tear them away, even from their church, even from their leaders. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name, would you come and war against the flesh in our hearts? Would you come and fill us with your spirit? Would you come and help us in our time of need? And God, I pray for those here that have revelation knowledge of you. You've given them great promises. You've given them great insight of your word. God, may they take your word and pray it. May they not forget your word. God, may they wait on you and tarry and pray your heart. And I pray right now for some of you, you need to pray this word. You need to pray these promises because the revelation or the, the manifestation of what you're praying is not even for you. But because you pray it, because you set your heart to it, your kids will pray it. Your kids' kids will pray it. Your kids' kids will pray it. Until the Lord returns, they will pray it. So God, I pray right now in Jesus' name, would you give an endurance, a perseverance for those that you've given revelation knowledge to, that they would not stop praying, even if they don't see it. Lord, let it be infectious from generation to generation. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.